Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. COPD, otherwise known as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, encompasses conditions like emphysema and chronic bronchitis and makes it extremely hard for people to breathe. It does affect the lungs, but it also affects so much more. And there are some unique oddities about our environment and air here in the islands that could actually exacerbate COPD for certain individuals. Here to tell us some more is the head of our Hawaii COPD Coalition and vice chair of the National COPD Foundation and the U.S. COPD Coalition, Valerie Chang. And she's been a wonderful supporter and guest of our show. And thank you for joining me again. Oh, thank you. This is such an exciting opportunity. And I just found the best website, Dr. Kozak. It is vog.ivhn.org. And it talks all about VOG. So tell me a little bit about what VOG is. That's unique to here in Hawaii. And some people on the mainland may not even understand what it is. Or if you have loved ones that haven't heard about this unique environmental issue, they may not understand why we have it and where it comes from. Yeah, it's a hazy mixture of sulfur dioxide gas and particles emanating from the volcano. So when or the volcano is erupting, it gets a little worse out there. The easy thing is volcanic smog. <laughs> volcanic smog or VOG. Okay. And we seem to have a bit more of that these days than we have in the past, does that sort of mirror what we see when we hear that the volcano is erupting over on the Big Island? Well, it depends. Because if you look at this airnow.gov website, which is supposed to talk about the quality of our air, our Hawaii air on Oahu, including downtown, East Honolulu, is still considered in the green zone. It's still supposed to be excellent even though people that have sensitive lungs do notice that they're having a harder time breathing. Now, you've unfortunately experienced that difficulty with breathing. For someone who doesn't understand what that feels like, can you describe it? Yeah, it's kind of like using a coffee stirrer and pinching your nose and just trying to exert yourself that way. And after a while, you just get really tired because it, it's such a small, um, a small diameter to be breathing through. And that's what happens to our airways when they get swollen or inflamed. Now, when someone has COPD, they, and let's say they have emphysema with that, they may have a combination of swelling of the airways, but they also have some other issues in their lung tissue. How would you describe that? Yeah, and- And some of them could have hypersecretion, a lot of mucus in their lungs. And so the important thing to do is to find a good doctor or nurse practitioner or medical team to work with that can help you optimize all of your conditions, including if you have allergies, if you have asthma, if you have gastric reflux, if you have sleep apnea. And if you optimally treat everything you can, then it can help your breathing be as good as it's going to get. 
Well, now you've mentioned a couple of the other conditions that can often exacerbate some of the conditions like COPD. You mentioned allergies. You mentioned asthma. You mentioned reflux and sleep apnea. So these are all other conditions that some people might not immediately associate with having trouble with COPD, but any one of those could exacerbate that condition. Is that right? That's very true. And also, they have found that people with lung conditions are more likely than the average person to have reflux or, you know, heartburn or whatever you want to call it. And for me, it can even be silent heartburn. You don't even know unless they do a test on you to see how much acid is coming up your esophagus. You think you're feeling fine and your body is actually disagreeing. <laughs> so it's, it's good to double check with your doctor and that is one of the tests that quite a few lung doctors do as standard procedure because so many of their patients have reflux, even with or without them knowing it. Well, and I can think anatomically of why that might be the case. If your lungs have some extra pressure where you're trying to exert yourself to breathe, then sometimes the diaphragm actually gets flattened a little bit, and that puts pressure on the stomach below. And that in and of, that in and of itself could cause some of that reflux that we're talking about, and it can cause another thing like what we call a hiatal hernia, or where little bits of the esophagus and the stomach kind of come through this area in the diaphragm, and that that gets worse as you exert more diaphragm pressure. And, you know, I can just picture how all of this could interplay together and could cause someone to have some difficulties because, again, exposure to the airways of that acid can cause some problems, can make you have trouble breathing. So it's all connected when we think about trying to keep ourselves healthy and breathing well. Now, you've found some ways that you can avoid being out in the VOG and also help maximize your treatment for your lungs. What sort of things do you hear about for some of the folks who have COPD? What do they do on VOG days? What helps them to to not get so exposed? The main thing to do is to try to stay indoors. And if you can be indoors where there's a good... Um, HEPA air cleaner or a good filtering system for the air conditioner. Those are good things. Um, And also just try to limit strenuous activities and maybe do them when things are not so foggy or not so irritating to you. So I like to do things later in the evening when the traffic has died down so at least you don't have the emissions from the cars. And so, you know, you're just trying to help your lungs as much as you can. Oh, that's a great point. You know, if you're going to do some activities where, you know, you might be outside and you don't want to be around the added extra stress of having cars and exhaust doing your activities later in the afternoon, it might also make it easier because it's not as hot. I think the humidity and the heat, in addition to the exposure and the fog, might also contribute to making someone feel a little bit more difficulty breathing or get fatigued a little early. So timing of the day, another important factor. Now, what about things like medications? There are some medicines that some people use that they tend to do very well with, and some of them are short-acting, some of them are long-acting. When you describe having, having issues with medications, what's the most common one that people reach for when they feel short of breath? Oh, albuterol. And that is something that came up at our last meeting is that 
several of the prescribers have said that the albuterol by nebulizer is getting more difficult to obtain. So if people are running low on their supply, they should probably try to make sure they have enough, even though they should pay attention to the expiration date because they tend to have a shorter expiration date because liquids are not as stable as as um, pills and even inhalers just because, you know, things change when things are in a liquid state. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Valerie Chang, head of the Hawaii COPD Coalition. And we're going to describe some other tips and tricks that people can think about so they can breathe well no matter what the weather happens to be. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we have Valerie Chang. She is the head of the Hawaii COPD Coalition and the vice chair of the U.S. COPD Coalition and the National COPD Foundation. So we're talking a little bit about what to do if you have this condition of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and what sort of environmental things might affect your ability to breathe well. And right before the break, we were talking about albuterol in a nebulizer. Now, Val, for those people who don't quite know what a nebulizer is, why would somebody have a nebulizer versus one of those portable inhalers? Well, nebulizers are particularly good for people that have trouble moving air. Like if their condition is pretty severe or they're having a really bad attack of asthma or COPD and they just can't move much air in or out then when you have a nebulizer, it's a liquid you put into a machine and the machine turns it into a mist. And so you just inhale the mist and that's much easier for people to take in than having the energy to um, inhale the medicine from a puffer. And that takes more coordination. Well, and that's a really good point. If you're having trouble breathing, trying to deliver the medication deeper into your lungs when you can't get in that air is fairly difficult. So you mentioned this nebulizer turns it into a mist and it makes it a little bit easier, opens up the airways. Now, not everybody's on a nebulizer. Some people, like you said, who have trouble breathing are. And, you know, I can only imagine that as we move more towards having people get more respiratory illnesses and as we get even towards flu season, we're in it now, there could be a greater demand for things like albuterol via nebulizer than there might be at other times of the year. So you mentioned that, you know, make sure you have enough and take a look at the expiration date. But do keep in mind that if you need more, this is the time to notify your provider and get refills so that you have it when it's available. Correct. And it's fairly inexpensive and they sell it in both a concentrated form that you dilute with um, salt water or saline that is also by prescription or the more um, the vials that you just pour directly into the cup for the the machine so that um, you don't have to mix anything. And Ways both, to make it easy. Both work, 
Now, that's one type of inhaler or nebulizer, but there's other things that some people use in their machines. So do you happen to know of any of the other medications that people might use? I think of some of the combination inhalers, the steroid inhalers, and some of the other ways That's that people true. might need to accept, to intensify their treatment for their condition. Yes, the steroids um, come in a um, also come in a nebulized form, and you can pour that medicine in and make it into a mist as well to inhale it. And also there is a long-acting non-steroidal medication that that you can inhale as well um, in the nebulizer. And those are things that the patients should really discuss with their doctors to make sure it is the ones that are best for their condition because not all medicines are appropriate for all patients. And it's, it's really confusing to make sure that people aren't taking too many of the same category of medicine and doubling up without meaning to. Well, you bring up a great point. Every time you see a provider, bring an accurate medication list. And those medications include any inhalers, any other over-the-counter medicines, any herbal supplements. Really, just keep a very comprehensive list so that if you do see different providers and they don't share the same medical record, you can make sure everybody knows what it is that you're that you're receiving, and they won't duplicate that. Now, the good news is that there are some newer medications out there in the last couple of years, they've tried to make combinations, and there are some that have like three ingredients. So they're really trying to make it easy for people to be able to get the medicine they need with the minimum amount of puffs or, in some cases, nebulizing that they that they absolutely have to use to really make it easier to help people to breathe better. So lots of good news on the front of pharmaceutical uh, availability of certain medications, uh, certainly if you're running out, that's another thing. Don't wait until you're sick to go get a refill on your medication, particularly that you use as needed. Because, you know, you might not need it right now, but if you were to get sick with something like COVID and you couldn't go to the pharmacy, kind of a good idea to have the medication available so that you can take care of yourself and not expose other people. Now, speaking yeah, of COVID, that's been... If you don't been... take your medicine that often, it's really important to check the expiration date. Like, I don't often need a rescue inhaler, so sometimes when I check it, I'm surprised to find out it's expired, and it's really good to get a new one before you need it, because if you try to use an expired inhaler, it just doesn't work as well. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Now, certain inhalers might work better than others, and there's something called a spacer, I know that one of the pulmonologists was talking the other night about if you feel as though you're having trouble getting your preferred rescue inhaler, sometimes it's because you don't have as much of the inhalant that you've, you're used to. Getting something like a spacer could actually help you to get that medication in effectively. How would you describe a spacer? A spacer is, um, well, the simplest spacers I've seen People take like a water bottle, an empty water bottle, uh, the disposable ones, and they cut an X through one side, and they put the inhaler um, through the little hole, and then they put their mouth in the neck of the bottle, and they squirt the 
uh, medicine into the bottle and then they breathe it in. And it just gives your body a little more time to coordinate the pushing down of the puffer and inhaling. Because sometimes we can't do it all at the same time. Wow, that's ingenious. Just a water bottle. A clean one. Well, <laughs> that you presumably. Just the water out of. <laughs> but that's a great idea. So you, so you use the inhaler on maybe the bottom portion of that water bottle, and you use the part where you would normally drink the water. That's where you can inhale the medication. So if you're ever stuck and you, you feel you need a spacer and you want to try it out, well, that sounds like a good, easy path to, to giving that a try. Now, let's talk briefly about COVID because that's been something that, you know, one of the particular populations of patients that we've been very worried about are those who have pre-existing lung conditions. And that's something that we've really been concerned about for folks like that getting sick with COVID. So what are some of the things that you've done to help protect yourself and be able to manage to avoid getting COVID over the last couple of years that we've been dealing with this? Well, to me, the main thing is to have a good, comfortable mask that you wear properly all the time when you're around other people. It's just because there's so many germs out there. This is actually an excellent opportunity to learn how to wear a good mask and find a good mask because right now there are quite a few good ones on the market and if you find a good comfortable one that works for you and your family then you might be surprised that you and your family don't get as many colds as usual. All right we're going to talk about the Secret to finding the best mask in just a minute. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, Valerie Chang of the Hawaii COPD Coalition is going to teach us some of the tips and tricks she's found about comfortable masks. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we're talking with Valerie Chang this evening. She is the head of the Hawaii COPD Coalition. And right before the break, we were talking about comfortable masks. Now, Val, a lot of folks out there are not wearing masks anymore. And you mentioned that sometimes if someone in the household has a lung condition that, you know, you want to try and protect your loved one, maybe wearing a mask out in public if you're going to big gatherings or you might be in a group where someone might be sick, is still a good idea if you're worried about vulnerable people at home. How do you find a comfortable mask? Well, I was watching this um, this guy that was on YouTube for a while, and he tested all these different masks, and he is a engineer, and that's one of the things he does. And... One of the masks he said said was really comfortable was a KF94 mask made in the Orient. And he said that's the one he wears at his workplace. So I bought it for me and my family, and it works for us. So we all said, okay, if that is a safe and comfortable mask, I guess that's what we're buying because it's 
better than the surgical mask because it's more protective, but it's not so hard to breathe as some of the, unfortunately, the, the N95 masks are really hard for some of us to breathe with. And this one is something that seems to fit better. So you mentioned that you're wearing that mask and you and your family are wearing that mask. And so you're trying to avoid catching any infection, whether it be COVID or you also reference that there's other things out there. You know, the flu's out there and we've seen people coming in with bronchitis and other infections that we haven't had for the last few years. There's RSV too with the young kids. Yep. RSV is another one. So it seems like, you know, and I'm curious from your perspective, what you've seen in your household and amongst some of the people you know, since we've been dealing with the pandemic, a lot of folks who are really careful about masking or avoiding large groups tend to have fewer respiratory infections in general. Have you seen that amongst some of the folks you know? Well, this personally, this is the longest uh, in over 20 years that I have not had an infection. Um, Normally, I get one to six infections, and the last infection I had was 2019. So So wearing a mask really helped. It's really made a difference for me, yeah. And I think the important thing to do is to try to buy genuine KN95 and KN94 masks, and those are unfortunately often not sold in the United States. They're often sold, well, in the past, they were often sold in um, the Orient, um, in um, Korea and Japan. But I think now there are more available masks, but they're, they're finding that the surgical masks and the, the cloth masks are not as protective as the, um, the ones that are made with the non-woven material, the disposable ones. Now, you also mentioned that cloth masks and surgical masks, surgical masks tends to be disposable. Cloth masks, it's really important. You know, they're not disposable, but you have to wash them. Correct. And they don't filter out as many particles as a tight-fitting KN95 and the KF95 mask. And the N95. And I think if it's not a really well-fitting mask and it fogs up your glasses and you can still smell things through it, then it tends not to be as protective. But it's still better than nothing. But it's just not as, um, it doesn't pro- provide as much of a barrier. Now, you mentioned you were getting sick one to six times a year. What were your usual symptoms for someone who may not understand the severity, you know, I might get a little cold or a sinus infection and, you know, that might not be that bad. It doesn't really affect my breathing. But but if for someone who has COPD, this could be really serious. This could, you know, what were your usual symptoms prior to 2020 when you would get sick? Oh, usually I would start with discolored mucus and increasing mucus and I'd start wheezing and I'd need to take more medicine, and I need to take antibiotics, and sometimes I needed to take them for an entire month. And it would take at least a month or two before my breathing got back to what it was before I got sick. 
So it was a big deal. And so I was never able to consider reducing my medicines, but because I have not been sick for all this time, my doctors and I have been able to help me reduce the medicines that I am taking now so that I can have fewer side effects from them, and I love it. Well, and, and we all know that... it controls my breathing well. Absolutely. Antibiotics are something that we should really just use if we absolutely need it. You know, I think particularly for some of the side effects, it kills the good bacteria, it kills the bad bacteria, and sometimes it takes a while to restore that good bacteria, and it does affect, you know, your gut digestion and your bowels and all sorts of different things. So there is a concern about wanting to make sure that we limit exposure to antibiotics, and certainly a prolonged course for about a month is is longer than most people might be exposed. So lots of reasons why you'd want to avoid having that exposure to one or six one to six episodes a year. So I can see why masks are your best friend these days, and it's something that's really helped you and also helped protect your family. Now, what sort of precautions do people take when they travel? We were talking earlier about a trip you might be going on, but some concerns you have about exposure to some of your loved ones too. Yeah, I think the important thing to do is to wear a mask the entire time you're traveling. The airport is a you get exposed to all kind of people, and and everyone's in close quarters when you're standing in line for, you know, security, and you're standing at the gate, and you're boarding, and you're on the plane, and you're waiting for your luggage. Those are all great opportunities for germs and viruses to spread. So even though it's not the most comfortable thing in the world, it's important to wear masks if you want to stay as safe as you can, I think. And um, one thing that we found is if, you know, you can eat at off times or eat outdoors, um, then it's not as crowded. And then, you know, you have more space between you and the other table. Well, you can't always do that on a plane. So, if you're no, on no, a plane, no. but when you when you reach your destination, or just locally, you know, when you go out, when you want to go out, we try to dine out at times that are maybe, you know, between lunch and dinner, a very early dinner or very late lunch, or those kinds of things, and it's not very crowded. It's and the the restaurant is very happy to have customers. Yep. Well, and I think when you're on a plane, for a lot of folks. Occasionally, I'll still see people wear masks, whether the oh, airline yeah. stewardess does or, you know, I did take a trip a few months ago and I'm, I didn't want to get to my destination and not be able to enjoy it. So there are those folks who will still wear a mask on the plane. And like you said, eating outdoors and doing things to try and minimize exposure. You know, it certainly sounds like we I never would have thought three years later we'd still be having these discussions. But we are. And COVID is something we have to consider. And it is something particularly for those who have lung conditions that make them especially vulnerable. So, you know, it sounds like you found a great way to find a good mask. And you mentioned catch up, make sure your inhalers are not expiring and make sure that you're treating your other medical conditions, whether it be asthma or allergies or other sorts of irritants in your environment. And there's also for those people who have COPD, there is a support group. Can you tell us real briefly about how someone might be able to reach out if they have this lung condition and find out more about tips and tricks that they could get from their fellow 
patients who might gather together and share their experience? Sure. There's a local Hawaii Honolulu support group that meets on the second Friday of every month. And it meets at Straub on King Street in the medical library in the basement. Um, And there's also a virtual support group that meets on the second Tuesday of most weeks. And it's all on our website, hawaiicopd.org, on the calendar. And they can find more details there and links. That's fantastic. Links and details on the website. Thank you to Valerie Chang for sharing her expertise with us today. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here when we talk about health topics. We'll see you then. Woo!